Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Laurian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. and welcome to this week's episode of Between the Creations. I'm so glad that you are with me today. Whenever you're listening, uh, I'm just always glad to have you and wherever you're listening from. It's always so exciting when I pull up the kind of the little spreadsheet that I get from the podcast distributor that we use and I see listeners in like Finland and Germany and Indonesia and I think we have a few in New Zealand and Australia and parts of Mexico. And so it's just always really exciting to see how many of you across the world are listening. So thank you to all of you. And just I'm so excited to continue to grow this little community that we have of people who are interested in things about biblical scholarship and theology and Christian living and spiritual development and all of those types of things that we talk about on this podcast. I am flying solo this week, which sometimes happens in the podcasting world. Sometimes interviews don't quite line up and things uh, just get behind. And so this week it is just me. So I hope that's okay with all of you. But as I was thinking about what to what to talk about and what to kind of make into a, a solo episode, I realized that I get a lot of questions from people about how to read the Bible. And we have definitely had episodes that talk about that. I specifically am thinking of an episode that I did with Dr. Joey Dodson. And so if you missed that episode, uh, go ahead and go back and look for his name in, in the episode notes and in the titles. And uh, he did an episode with me. Joey is a professor of New Testament. Uh, out in Colorado, and he offered a lot of really good introductory information. But I get a lot of questions from people who have been Christians for a long time, and, and also from people who have not, about how to read the Bible. Um, because I think if we're honest with ourselves, many of us have had experiences where we've read a, a passage or a few verses, or even maybe a whole book of the Bible, and we have... Uh, gone to a group or then heard a sermon or read a book or read an article about that passage. And we kind of sit back and we're like, man, that person got a whole lot more out of that than I did. And I'm not talking about like spiritual things, like like uh, personal things necessarily, not like, oh, the Holy Spirit really spoke to them through that passage. And for me, it was kind of just a normal thing and not not overly impactful. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking specifically about the actual text itself, where someone seems to maybe have a little bit of a deeper understanding of maybe the historical context or the style of writing that something was or something like that. And you kind of, or maybe even I in different situations am left going, man, I wish that I knew some more information like they did. I wish I kind of had that depth and that ability to go a little bit deeper into the scripture so that I could maybe understand them better or get a better grasp on what's actually going on in the background. So today, and this might become a thing that we do every once in a while, I'm just going to offer some tips and some tricks of the trade uh, to help you with your Bible reading, to help you hopefully understand the scriptures a little bit better, and also to maybe put some tools in your hands that could offer you some assistance when it comes to reading the Bible on your own, with the kind of caveat that I always want to put before people is that scripture was not meant to be read in a vacuum, right? We were not meant to always and only ever read our Bibles in our closets with the door closed, just you and Jesus time. Now that's great. And absolutely you should, you should do something like that regularly. You should engage in regular 
readings of the scriptures for your own personal growth and own personal understanding. But if we're not following that up with talking about what we've learned and talking about what we think we understand with the community of Christians around us, then we're missing a vital, vital aspect of study of the scriptures. And so let me encourage you to to read your Bible on your own, absolutely, but to also find a group of people that you can read the Bible with. Uh, And hopefully that group of people will be somewhat diverse. They won't all look like you and talk like you and be from the same socioeconomic status as you even. We need that diversity when we come to the scriptures and when we come to interpreting the scriptures. Otherwise, everyone's interpretations are just going to end up being the same. And we won't ever be challenged to think differently, which is part of the reason we should study the scriptures, is to be challenged to think differently, because that's what the Spirit of God calls us to often. It calls us out of our comfort zone. It calls us into uncomfortable places. And in those uncomfortable places even include things like having our minds changed or having our thoughts, our preconceived notions challenged about something. So, Let me encourage you first and foremost to always, always, always do Bible study in a group. Um, Of course, read the Bible on your own. That's not what I'm saying. Do that. But always follow that up with some type of group Bible study where you're talking with other people, where you're meeting regularly, where you're having that kind of communal interaction with the text. Because the text is alive, right? The text is, is moving. The text is doing things in us and through us and revealing things about God in ourselves to us. And so hopefully... Uh, you can realize and I can realize that that, that's not something that we are meant to do by ourselves, right? Christianity is not a solo enterprise. So I hope that offers a little bit of good information and context as we jump into this. This is not by any means going to be a comprehensive kind of every single piece of information you need to know. This is more of some just really quick jumping off places, some good, hopefully uh, some, some good information that you guys can then grow with and kind of keep keep studying on your own. Uh, this is a little bit of a jumping off place and some some, some tricks of the trade, maybe, um, is a better way of saying it. Uh, there are tons and tons and tons of books out there on how to study the Bible. Some of them are really helpful and great, and some of them are not. <laughs> and so sometimes the overwhelming amount of resources can be crippling. And so I, I usually recommend uh, two to three books for people, depending on their comfort level, depending on their knowledge level when it comes to reading the Bible. Um, one of them is just called How to Read the Bible. So that's that's a great place to start. Uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. That's a, that's a great place to start. Another one of them is a little older. It was written several years ago, and they've done uh, multiple editions of it. It's called Living by the Book. It can be a little cheesy at times. Some of the diagrams and stuff are a little bit cheesy, but it's actually really helpful, and it's very accessible. So if you're wanting to learn how to do this better um, as a family even, or maybe you have a teenager, or maybe you have someone who's a new believer that you're discipling, Living by the Book is a great place to start. And then the book that I finally recommend to people who have been in the game a little bit longer or who want to be more challenged or who want to grow and experience various caveats of biblical studies um, is a book called Elements of Biblical Exegesis by Michael Gorman. Um, They just put out a third edition earlier this year, I think, or late in 2020. So that's a great book. Uh, It's really geared for students, for people who are in seminary and PhD programs, but don't let that scare you. It's actually very accessible, but again, it's it's a little bit higher level required. But if you've been in the game long a long time, or if you really want to dig deep into Bible study, it's a great resource to have on your shelf. So I'm actually going to pull some information from this book, uh, Elements of Biblical Exegesis, for this conversation today. Hopefully that will offer you some assistance. Again, this is not comprehensive. I'm kind of just 
picking and choosing little pieces of information that I've that I've thought would be potentially helpful for you, that I thought that maybe uh, are good things to keep kind of keep in the backs of our minds as we read the Bible. Um, the first thing that's really helpful to remember and is going to sound really basic, I'm sure, is that the Bible is not one book. It's multiple books written by multiple authors during multiple times, time periods, and in multiple different situations. And so you have authors spread over thousands and thousands of years telling their own individual stories while also through the power of the Holy Spirit telling the big overarching story of what God has been doing and is always doing and will continue to do in our world. And so a good thing to keep in mind when we approach the Bible, say we're say we're going to study a specific book of the Bible, uh, you we need to remember that hey, this book stands on its own as as a literary unit, right? There there's a reason that this book is designated as a singular unit. It's you know you have like something like Ruth or you have something like Joshua or Judges or First Samuel or even something like you know First Peter. You have this book that has its own title. It has its own purpose. It has its own agenda. Um, and I think that might maybe it might be helpful for some of us who grew up in certain traditions. It's okay to realize. It's okay to say that the books of the Bible and their authors had an agenda when they were being written. Otherwise, they would not have been written. Paul would not have written. Um, a letter to the church in Rome, or Paul would not have written a letter to the church at Corinth if he didn't have an agenda or a purpose behind it. And so these these things are written for a purpose, be that for historical um, kind of taking down information or as a letter for other people or as a prophetic kind of utterance that we need to remember and write down, or maybe it's a law that people need to know about. So these books of the Bible stand on their own. And so when we approach them, we're approaching them obviously from multiple directions, but from two primary directions that we need to really focus on is one, what is this book doing as its own literary unit? What type of writing is it? Is it poetry? Is it narrative? Is it a bunch of uh, prophecy that I don't really understand? What What's happening here? Um, another thing that we need to keep in mind though is how is this book situated within the entire Bible itself? How does this book fit in with all of the other books? And then kind of step back one step further, how does this book fit in with all of the Bible's whole message of God creating, God redeeming, God coming again, those types of big narratives? How does this book speak to that? And how can I find those main big narratives within the context of of this book? And so again, there's many, many ways to go about that. There's lots of approaches to biblical studies. There's lots of ways that you can, you know, crack the spine on a Bible. But those two questions need to be in the forefront of our minds as we approach our study. Another thing, friends, that needs to be kind of just front and center in our brains whenever we open the scriptures. It's good literally to to remind yourself of this anytime you open the Bible. We all Every single one of us, every single one, every single person that you will ever come into contact with, whenever we open the Bible, we bring naturally, this is not a bad thing, this is not something that we should feel sorry for necessarily, but we bring, just because by nature of us being human, we bring our own preconceived notions, our own lenses that we're going to look at the scripture through, all of our ideas, all of our experiences, you will read the Bible differently because of who you are as a person. You know, you have a unique interpretation in many ways of what you're reading and learning and your interpretation and your experience of the text is going to vary from someone else's simply because they're a different person. 
But if we are not aware of these things, sometimes we can let our preconceived ideas or our own experiences or our own maybe um, incorrect thoughts or beliefs taint the text and then we read into the text or read out of the text what makes us feel good or what all confirms our already um, held beliefs rather than letting it challenge them, which is what the scriptures are supposed to be doing is, is challenging and helping us and leading us in some ways. So we have to be aware. It would, it would almost be helpful to literally anytime you open the Bible to just take a deep breath and remember, hey, I'm bringing who I am to the text. And that means the good and the bad and the things that maybe I wish weren't there and the things that uh, you know have happened to me and the things that I believe I'm bringing the fact that I'm a male or a female to the text. So women read the Bible differently than men and vice versa. And that's okay. We need the whole experience of the human drama in order to make sense of what's happening. But we need to recognize that we're bringing who we are to the text. And sometimes those things need to be kind of checked at the door a little bit um, so that we can kind of be challenged or form a better understanding of what's happening. Now, there, there's a lot of ways to talk about how should we study the Bible. And I think that the most simple version of, of this is, is just a few steps. The first step is observation. The second step is interpretation. And the last step is application. So observation, interpretation, and application. So we're first going to observe the text. And there, the word observe contains a lot. There's a lot to observe when we come to the biblical text. We're going to observe the context of what's happening. And that includes like the socioeconomic context and the historical context and the context of the book or the chapter or the verses we're studying, again, within that book itself or within the Bible at large. So the observation uh, section of this kind of progression has a lot in it, but we're first going to observe the text. We're going to read it. We're going to ask questions of it. We're going to write down the things we don't understand, or maybe a funny name that we don't know what that means, or that sounds really strange to us. Or maybe you're reading about a custom and you're like, I have no idea why they did that. Make a note, write it down. Write it down as something that you're going to then, in the next step, which was interpretation, go figure out what it means. So we're going to begin interpreting the text. And again, much like observation, interpretation can take quite some time because there's a lot going on. We have to understand things, especially when we do the observation and moving into interpretation, we need to understand things like the Bible wasn't written in English. It wasn't written for many of us in the language that we naturally speak. And even then it was written in a version of Greek and in a version of Hebrew that isn't really spoken today anymore. So even if you were to go to Greece, they're speaking a different version of Greek than the Bible was written in. And so many of us, most most of you, I'm sure, are not going to rush out and, and, like I did, get a degree in biblical languages because that's not for everyone, and I totally understand that. But we need to just be aware that we are several, several centuries in many ways, um, and also at least a language, if not a few languages, removed from what the Bible is written in. So we need to keep that in our minds. We need to be aware of that. And that's going to impact how we read. And that's going to impact the kind of research we do during the interpretation step. So we're going to observe the text. We're going to ask questions of the text. We're going to write down the things that don't make sense to us. Then we're going to interpret the text. And interpreting involves a lot of tools and involves a lot of extra reading. And my dog here is with me and he is whining and he has thoughts about interpreting the text too. You got any more to say? No? Okay, we're going to move along. So when you interpret the text, this is when we start looking at different commentaries and dictionaries and concordances and those types of things, maps, and those types of things are going to be really helpful to us as we try to figure out what is this text actually saying? What did it mean in its original context? And that's a really important thing to realize. 
First and foremost, before you can understand what the text can mean for you today, we must, friends, we must understand what the text meant originally. We can't just twist arm the text and concoct some brand new meaning for our current situation. Instead, we need to first and foremost understand what was this text saying thousands of years ago to its original hearers, the people who would read the letter first, the people who would hear it proclaimed in their churches? What was it meaning for them? And that's a really good place to kind of start asking those questions. So just some practical things that we can do. As you read, begin recording uh, and writing down the thoughts and questions you have as you read the text for the first time. So as you open up and you're like, I'm going to study the Gospel of John. Well, as you read John 1, even if you've read, read it 500 times, write down things that jump out of you. Write down questions that you have. And here's another thing that, may, that might free some of us up a little bit. We can remember together that guessing and hypothesizing is not a bad reading strategy. It's not a bad thing to do up front. However, if we don't then go follow up our hypotheses or our questions or our guesses and actually look into them and actually do the research required, then that becomes a problem. But ask questions of the text. If you don't understand something, write it down as a note to yourself that when you get into the next step, that interpretation step, you can then progress and go look that up in a Bible dictionary. Go look that up in another translation of the Bible if that's going to help you understand that better. Those types of things are really, really helpful. Then, as we continue forward, it's helpful to grab things like commentaries. It's helpful to grab the works of other scholars. And friends, there are several commentaries available, depending on your level of comfortableness, your level of comfort (laughs) with the scriptures. So there's some introductory level commentaries. There's some commentaries that are really heavy on the Greek and Hebrew text. And so you kind of get to pick... Um, across the spectrum of, of in-depth, of how in-depth the commentary is, what where you're going to fall. And that's okay. We're all going to be doing this differently. But resources like Bible dictionaries and commentaries are really, really helpful as we move forward with our studies. And they're things that we need to be Uh, thinking about things that we need to consider, things that need to be at the forefront of our mind as we continue studying and as we continue learning and growing. Um, The other thing that a lot of people who who do good work when it comes to biblical studies that they're aware of that the average reader might not be able to consider just because they don't have the training, which is totally fine, um, but there are ways to learn this stuff without going to seminary or without going to do a PhD, is that there are two different... There's actually multiple, but there's two primary types of contexts that are happening when we read a scripture. We have a historical context and we have the narrative. And within these two types of contexts, the important thing to remember is that not every book of the Bible, actually, I don't think any books of the Bible, are being written as the events are happening in their entirety. So, for example, you have these two types, these primary types of context, one being historical context and the other being narrative context. Now, the historical context is the text of the author and the audience. So the person who's writing down the stories, again, the stories of things that happened may may have happened hundreds of years earlier, but the historical context is the context of the author and the intended original audience. The narrative context is the context of the narrative that is being written. So, for example, if if I'm going to write down the, the book of Joshua, if I'm going to be the author of the book of Joshua, the historical context is what's happening around me, the author. It's what's happening around the original audience that I'm writing down the book of Joshua for. 
the narrative context is, is actually what's happening within the book itself. It's what's, ha- it's what's happening to Joshua and the characters within the story that I'm telling. So one of the things that's really important for us to remember is that many of the books of the Bible were written quite some time after the events that they are recording took place. So the authors are writing about things, again, that happened even before they were born sometimes, and they're writing these things down to a completely different generation and group of people than who experienced the events in the story they're telling. I hope that makes sense. And I think that that's helpful for us because there's a reason that if you read things like First and Second Kings, and then you read First and Second Chronicles, in many ways you read the same stories but they sound very different. They're they're recounting in, in across many t- many chapters. They're recounting the exact same stories, but they sound different. There's different information that's highlighted, and sometimes the details get a little bit different because First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles are written during very different periods of time by different people. So they're written to a different audience for a different purpose. And so we have to keep that in mind as we responsibly read the biblical text. So again, I told you this was not going to be a massive, comprehensive kind of approach to everything, um, because that's just, I can't do that in one single podcast episode. But another question, so this is, like I said, this is a little bit rapid fire. This is kind of just things that, that hopefully we can kind of just put a pin in and remember to come back to later, just personally as we study, or maybe this will kind of pique your interest about a specific topic. Um, another question that I get a lot is, well, what Bible translation should I use? What is the best translation? And here's here's the fact of the matter. None of them get it right in, in every single possible way. And so they all have their own flaws. They all have, again, remember how we talked about agenda and audience at the beginning? All of the different Bible translations that we have today, I'm speaking specifically of English translations, uh, they were all written for a specific purpose by a specific group of people, usually commissioned by a specific university or a specific denomination. And so they have an agenda. The writer or the translators and the translation team and the publisher and all of that stuff, they have an agenda. They have a purpose for why that translation exists. So If we're going to be responsible Bible readers, we need to be reading multiple translations. Preferably, if you can, go ahead and grab the Greek and the Hebrew, but that's not not the case for most people. Um, So the best way to do this is to read several translations. So don't just have one Bible that you only read this one. Get a parallel Bible that has multiple translations in it, or, you know, make sure you pull up different translations online if you're going to read stuff. Now, there are some preferred uh, translations if you're going to be doing in-depth Bible study and exegesis and biblical interpretation and those types of things. And again, I'm, I'm kind of using the, the book that I mentioned at the beginning, Elements of Biblical Exegesis. Uh, they have a really good listing of, of different translations in this, in this particular book. And, and I, I agree with most of it, actually. I think they do a good job. Um, some more common translations that that they recommend and that I also recommend for people to use as maybe a primary kind of jumping off point, but again, remembering to read other things, is the New Revised Standard Version. Um, not, not the RSV, not the Revised Standard Version. We need to be reading the New Revised Standard Version because the, the New Revised Standard Version um, corrects a few things, makes some updates to the, to the translation that are really helpful. Another really good option is the New American Bible Revised Edition. Again, making sure that if if you are going to look into these, that you're looking at the... If if I'm saying Revised Edition, there's a reason for that. Uh, It's because it's been updated, maybe taking out some of the more archaic language. A little bit more scholarship has gone into it based on things that we've learned since the original one came out. 
But the New American Bible, the revised edition, is a great place to also kind of start as a jumping off point for biblical scholarship or just a little bit more intensive uh, Bible study. The New International Version, 2011, and the, anything that has come out after that is another really good place to start. Um, they have they've done some really good work with the with the Greek and the Hebrew there, and put it, put together a good team. Um, so those are some good ones to start. Probably the more accessible of those ones that I just mentioned would be the New Revised Standard Version or the NRSV and the New International Version, 2011, and anything kind of coming out after that point. Those are two really good ones for just to have as a, as maybe the Bible that you carry around or the one that you just you reference the most often. Again, remembering that we need to read multiple translations and and read often. So other ones that are good, um, but that have maybe a little bit more of that agenda kind of coming out, which is not a bad thing. It's just something that we need to be aware of. Um, the New English Translation, the NET. Uh, the English Standard Version, the ESV, which is really popular, especially here in the States. Um, again, not a bad translation, just written with with a little bit more of the agenda coming through um, from their translation team and the reason that that one came into being. Um, the Christian Standard Bible, or the CSB, uh, is another one that is good, but that maybe uh, does isn't quite as as good as an NRSV or an NIV uh, post-2011, simply because their agenda comes a little bit more through. Again, these aren't bad translations. And if you read these and this is your Bible of choice, absolutely go for it. I'm just glad you're reading the Bible. Um, but I'm specifically kind of coming at this from an angle of Bible scholarship and of in-depth Bible study. Um, other ones that are not good for um, biblical exegesis or for in-depth Bible study, but are good for other things, uh, things like uh, the New Living Translation or the Common English Bible, those are, they're great, um, but they're not necessarily the best ones to use for in-depth Bible study. They're good for just general reading, devotional reading. They're good if you are a new believer and kind of some of the archaic, weird language of other translations is hard. Um, those two are really good. Uh, the message is also one that is that is wonderfully written, but it's not a Bible translation in the pure sense. It's more of a Bible paraphrase and a and a rewording of things. And Eugene Peterson wrote uh, did that translation work and did a great job. But again, the message is not a text that we're going to go to to do all of this type of biblical interpretation and the exegesis and the the looking into the contexts and those types of things. So just good things to know. Um, again. Read multiple translations because all translations, again, have their weaknesses. They have their agendas. They're going to have their own perspectives. And that's okay. Of course, of course, they're going to. But we need to be kind of widely read people of the Bible if we're going to do good in-depth Bible study. And we need to make sure that we are reading across different perspectives. So we want to make sure that we're reading translations that weren't done by a bunch of people who just look like us. Read translations from, from different countries that, are, that have been done into English. Read translations that you've never read before. Um, but again, remembering that there are some that are more in tune with biblical scholarship and with intensive exegetical study. Um, again, if you're going to, if you're going to try to really do an in-depth study of the gospel of Mark, you might, you know, maybe read the message as the fourth translation that you, that you read. Don't use that as your primary translation, but again, read widely, read a lot of different Bible translations because that will help you. And you'll begin to see 
things that are different. And those differences should raise questions in you. Why did this translation do this and the other one do something completely different? And those can become good places for you to then jump off and learn more about the, the biblical narrative and the context of what's happening and why why there are discrepancies across translations. Those are great places to kind of gather further questions that will then deepen your understanding of the scriptures and hopefully increase your love and knowledge of God and also your understanding of yourself and where you fit into that narrative. So I know this was a little bit rapid fire. I know it was a little bit random, but these are common questions that I get from a lot of different people from a lot of different denominations, people who have been Christians for a long time, also new believers. So if you have these questions, you're in good company. If you have questions like them, you're also in good company. Um, I will probably do another episode or two, just doing some rapid fire general question answering about Bible study and about different ways to study. And so be on the lookout for those. Uh, This, again, I don't really like doing episodes by myself. It's a lot less fun for me to sit here and talk into the microphone for, for some time, but I hope this was helpful for you. So until next week, you guys take care and we will be back later. Thanks for joining me this week. It's a huge help when you like, rate, and subscribe to Between the Creations wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook for news about upcoming episodes. You can find out more about the podcast, submit topics you'd like me to cover on an episode, or even ask me to speak at your event at laurienhook.com.